We the ones. We the ones they talking about. Broadway Sports Media. Justin and Justin Titans podcast show. Some of it was bad, but hopefully you'll you probably piece something together. Outstanding. There's an earthquake in the middle of the podcast. Unbelievable. We're begging for listeners. That's all we do. You just gotta shut up. That's all you're doing. Tell you what, baby. Welcome in, everyone, to another episode of the Music City Audible Podcast, brought to you by Broadway Sports Media, partnered with 440 Sports. I'm Justin Graver. With me, as always, on the other mic is Justin Mello. What's going on tonight, Justin? I'm doing well, Justin. I can't complain. Uh, we've got a Titans game to cover. To recap here, uh, you know, a pretty uh, typical win over Jacksonville is kind of what we saw coming. And then we got a great one to preview against Pittsburgh with, as always, a wonderful guest that we'll be bringing on to give us the Steelers perspective. Absolutely. We have friend of the podcast, a returning guest coming on this week. Alex Kazora writes for Steelers Depot. will come on to talk to us about the Steelers. Are the Steelers good? Alex will tell us. We'll get into all that. Later. I want you to ask him that first because I, okay. I, I don't know. Do you know? Nobody knows. Nobody knows. Six, Pittsburgh six and doesn't one know. Steelers. Yeah. <laughs> ben Roethlisberger doesn't even know. He's like, this is my last year here. Maybe. I don't, whatever. We'll get into all of it. Um, but first, let's talk about some news because a ton of stuff went down for the Titans in the last couple of days. Uh, I'm just going to run through it, and then I don't really have any comments on any of it. So if you want to comment, feel free to comment on what stands out to you. The items of note. Brady Breeze has been claimed. He is no longer a Tennessee Titan. Breon Borders has been claimed. He is no longer a Tennessee Titan. Both of those guys were on the Titans practice squad. Other teams signed them to the active roster, so the Titans lost those guys. Um, Des Fitzpatrick was one of a million, I think, NFL players to be placed on a COVID reserve list on Tuesday, but the only Titans player, thank goodness, on a day where the league had, what was it, like 60-something positive cases or or between... Something ridiculous, yeah. Like it's yeah. certainly the most in history, I guess you can say. Certainly. Yeah. Right. Um, so that will affect the wide receiver depth. Uh, Bud Dupree and Chris Jackson, I believe, are eligible to return from injured reserve this week. And the Titans claimed Zach Cunningham last week. And he should be eligible to practice on Wednesday, clearing all of his COVID protocols to get in the building and get on the field. And we should probably see him this week against the Steelers. So what stands out to you from that list? Go ahead. Take it away. I'm going to, I'm going to do some quick rapid fire here. Number one, so far the Titans have been relatively, I guess, fortunate to only have one player land on the COVID reserve list in Des Fitzpatrick. Um, but obviously did play on Sunday against Jacksonville. The game was in Nashville. So at least they didn't have to travel to Florida. <laughs> we know how that's uh, gone for teams in the past with the Buccaneers uh, and so on, but hopefully they'll avoid a large outbreak. Like the one we're seeing in Cleveland in Los Angeles right now. Mm-hmm. If I can make a quick prediction, I'm going to say, I don't think it's that bold, but I'm going to say that one way or another this year, next year, both Breon Borders and Brady Breeze will be back in Tennessee. You know, these are guys, especially Borders has been on and off for years. So I think both of those guys will probably find their way back to the practice squad, especially Breeze. I'm very confident in that Breeze prediction. Borders, maybe he's ending the near the line, where the, nearing the end of the line, excuse me, where perhaps they're ready to kind of give up on him and move towards trying to develop someone younger. But I, I think there's a chance he'll be back, and I definitely think Brady Breeze will be back. Nice. 
It's funny you mention that because last night, right before the Rams-Cardinals game, the Rams activated a bunch of guys from their practice squad because they were dealing with all of these COVID issues. And it's just kind of funny because there was like four or five names on that list who were all former Titans players. Guys that I think played for the Titans this season, right? Like Yeah, just, some of them, yeah. Like Kareem Orr, I, I'm pretty sure was in training camp, right? Javion right. Hawkins, I know for a fact, was in training camp for at least yep. that third, I think it was a third preseason game, right? When they were dealing with some issues after the Evans injury and obviously Henry not dressing for the preseason. The former Vanderbilt tight end, I always mess up his last name, Jared Pinckney, I think it is Pinckney. Uh, he was activated yesterday. So all three of those guys are former Titans. And uh, Makai Sargent is actually on the Rams' active roster. Like they're 53. Right. So four former fringe Titans that all appeared in Tennessee earlier this season in Los Angeles yesterday. And boy, not that, you know, this is not a Rams podcast, but Kareem Moore looked rough last night at times. I, I don't think he ever looked that bad in Tennessee, even throughout preseason. Like he was a guy we had a little bit of excitement about right in the beginning. And had him on the had pod. A, Oh, yeah, yeah, we had him on the pod. We had him on um, uh, tape with the Titans with the as Titan. well. Uh, he had a rough outing last night. But, you know, it's tough to get called up the day of and go play against Arizona's receiving corpse at that, right? So real yeah. real tough spot for him. And the Rams dominated. Well, they ended up winning by not a dominating score. But they won pretty handily, it felt like. It felt like the Rams were winning all game long. So good for the Rams. Titans beat the Rams. Rams are ahead of the Titans in every single power ranking that came out on Tuesday. Who cares? Power rankings are stupid. Nobody nobody cares about power rankings. You want to know why the Titans aren't higher in the power rankings? Because they beat the Jags 20-0. to zero. Let's get into that. Tennessee's first shutout in like 20 years at, at Nissan Stadium, yeah. which is cool, I guess. You could tell the Titans dropped a, a video after the game of a bunch of defensive players being super hyped about the shutout. And I think it was really cool to see that. That's my top takeaway from the game is that there was a few drives where Jacksonville threatened the shutout and the Titans defense was not giving them anything. And we've seen Titans teams in the past that like had a game wrapped up and won. And this is the reason it's been 20 years that they had a home shutout is the other team gets a late garbage time touchdown. And even like sometimes like the Chicago game a few years ago, like it feels like the Titans win. And then we're looking up and there's two minutes left. And the other team has the ball with a chance to go tie the game or take a lead. So it was great to see them put the Jags away in this game and keep them away. I think Ryan Tannehill's rushing touchdown in the second half really kind of put the game out of reach for Jacksonville, who is a completely inept football team. And I think that the Titans would be higher in people's power rankings if the Titans had won like 40 to 20 instead of 20 or sorry, 40 to zero instead of 20 to zero. But anytime you can force four interceptions in a game, I can't remember the last time the Titans had four interceptions in a game, just a completely dominant performance on the offensive side. They only put up 20 points, but it felt like and this is something that we talked about going into this game was, you know, after coming off of two games with nine total turnovers, he just wanted to see them take care of the football, not make mistakes, not beat themselves, get drive down the field. They they executed long drives down the field. They did have one missed field goal on one of those drives. But overall, I mean, do you want to see more from the offense? Probably. But this is also a Jacksonville team that just beat Buffalo a couple of weeks ago. Their defense has been decent. It's not good, but it's been decent. They have a few talented players, at least on the defensive side of the ball. So... I was pretty pleased with this Titans performance. What did you think? 
Yeah, one thing I'll say about you, you mentioned taking care of the football. That was important, but not only that, but how about swinging the pendulum a little bit? Because not only did they turn over the football a ton against Houston and New England, I don't think they forced a turnover in either yeah. of those games, right? So so to come back here and eight, you know, take care of the football, as we mentioned, but to force four turnovers, right? It was the four interceptions and win the turnover battle by four. You lost it by five against Houston. Well, now you win it by four against Jacksonville. I think that was really important for the defense as well. And one thing I'll say about the shutout is that uh, you saw the players, how hyped they were after the game. I typically think that stuff matters more to players than it does to fans. Yeah, fans think it's nice, but you can really see how hyped they were, right? And, and they talked about it in the post-game press conference. Kevin Byer talked about it, how fired up he was about it. Jeffrey Simmons talked about it, and they, they went on and on. So I, I think it was really cool. I mean, it hadn't happened in 21 years at home, and I don't even remember that game, truthfully. 2000 against the Giants. It was I think it was – no, sorry. I think the Giants shutout was the last one that they had, but that was on the road in New York. Their last home shutout was 2000 in the final game of the season. I believe I'm getting that correct. Mm. I don't know who it was against, and I certainly don't remember that game. You know, I, was, I was already watching the Titans then, but two, I mean, 2000, right? Like That's how long it's been since the home crowd has seen that. So kudos to them. They did their job. And what can you say about Jacksonville? What an absolute disaster of a football team. Urban Meyer is a disaster, just a shit show that has no idea what he's doing. Offensively, I mean, the interceptions were great. I mean, I mean, I was referring to Jacksonville's offense there. The interceptions were great. Buster, uh, Buster Screen, I think it's pronounced, um, had a nice little one, a 33-year-old corner veteran guy who Mike Rabel uh, raved about, right? Is really who happy is to this have guy? him. I mean, I've heard of him. He's been bounced around the league, but like, yep. how did he end up playing significant snaps in Tennessee? It's crazy. I don't want to get on this tangent, but it kind of makes you wonder how many guys are out of the league right now that can still play. You know what I mean? Like he showed he could still play, right? A lot of this boils down to opportunity and, and yada, yada. And he's getting one and, and he's playing well. Like you probably feel better about putting him out there than you do certainly a Breon Borders or a, a Breon uh, Body Calhoun or maybe even a Chris Jones. You know, Greg Maven did look good in that one game, but it's probably close between them now. So, And uh, Greg Maven had to play in this game where it was like the Jags had like a third and 10 and they ran like a slant or like an in-breaking route or whatever, and Maven was like bailing into coverage and tried to break forward to come and make the tackle. It ended up being like a 15-yard gain on like third and 10. It's like, what? come on, play up a little bit. I don't know. Right, that, that so play, that's what I mean. Way. Like, Screen could probably play more than all of those guys, so good for him for having the INT. Christian Fulton had one that looked like an arm punt from Trevor Lawrence. I mean, it was horrible. I mean, the game was over by then, and he's just trying to make a play. I get it there in desperation, but it was terrible. Uh, and shout out to Jalen Brown and Rashawn Evans, who both made really nice interceptions. You know, Evans, credit him, great hand-eye coordination. You know, the ball goes through LaVisca Chenault's hands. He's got to readjust to the flight of the football, and, and he brings it down. I mean, it was, it was a great pick. And then Jayon Brown uh, kind of one-handed it, right? At least he kind of corralled it to his body with the one hand, got his second hand on it, and hauled it in. So uh, and I think it was good, uh, great for both of those guys to play well because A, Brown hasn't played well lately, in my opinion, in recent showings. And Evans obviously was coming off like a six-game absence, which was kind of puzzling. Hadn't played since the win over Kansas City. So it was really important for both of those guys to show up and play well, and they did. Yeah, agreed. And especially with Zach Cunningham now on the roster, it's going to be really interesting to me to see how these linebackers are deployed because David That's Long like should be coming back sometime. That's like the main thing I want to talk about tonight. It may not be interesting to anyone else, but going forward, you know, this, how this is going to play out is going to be fascinating to monitor because I have no idea 
um, uh, what they're what they think about this four man group that they now have that are look all four of these guys are starting caliber inside linebackers in the NFL and I know someone's going to hear that right now especially our colleagues and say Rashawn Evans isn't a starting caliber. I don't think inside linebacker depth around the league is as good as you think it is. Rashawn <laughs> Evans probably is a, a, a starting caliber inside linebacker on a lot of teams, right? It's just, it's, it's a position that's not always um, what's the word I'm looking for. It's a little devalued. You know, it, it's not all that different from the running back on offense or the safety uh, that's, you know, Kenny Vaccaro is free in August when the Titans sign him to give you an example. Right. So um, happy I retirement. Think Sorry. Wish wish Kenny a happy retirement. Yes. Random. We never random did that. Happy note. retirement to Kenny Vaccaro. Glad 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 I said his name. Glad you said that. Uh, a great Tennessee Titan, one that we'll remember very fondly. Yes, hook him, hook him, as you say. I whatever. used to play basketball with him at Gregory Gym. We went to Texas together. No big deal. Whatever. NBD, NBD. Right. He was. You were the point guard. He was a small forward. No big deal. And he was. He could. I mean, he was slamming it on people's absolutely. heads at like 5'10". Yes. NFL, <laughs> NFL athletes are absolutely ridiculous and typically don't get enough credit. Do you remember, you remember the random thought? You remember the clips of Josh McCowan playing basketball? Oh, yeah. Just it goes, like people. Even these old white quarterbacks where everyone's like, oh, they're probably not that athletic. Then Josh McCown shows up to basketball and it's like LeBron James of pickup yeah. basketball, right? Just I like, thought you were going to say all uh, of them are athletic and ridiculous. I thought you were going to say Justin Hunter or Kendall Wright. Both of those guys were were ballers on the basketball court. Which... Oh, no. That, yeah, that yeah, that I knew. But I mean, the McCowan one was like a McCowan one is crazy. 37, right? Because he and looks like, like a, a history teacher at your middle school. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like a journeyman quarterback who's played for 13 different teams already. But anyway, back to the point. Um, well, here's what I'm super interested in is the guys that are your quote-unquote starters or at least were expected to be your starters coming into 2021 are both free agents in Evans and Brown. Right. So how much do the Titans say Brown's one of our best linebackers, we need him on the field for almost every play versus – David Long is the future versus we want to see how Zach Cunningham fits into this defense going forward because next year your starters could be David Long and Zach Cunningham if they let Brown and Evans walk, which is not completely unrealistic given their contract situations and the Titans cap situation and the fact that they now have Long and Cunningham. But how much do you put Long and Cunningham on the field together just to make sure that next year you're covered at linebacker versus like you got to win three of these last four games to try and make a run at the one seed. So I agree. It's going to be fascinating. I think we'll see three linebackers on the field plenty because it's going to be about getting your best 11 guys on defense on the field. And like, would you rather have Dane Crookshank as a third safety or like Jayon Brown as like a nickel backer with Cunningham and Evans out there thumping downhill, you know, like that's going to be interesting to see how that plays out. The only thing that I'll say with conviction is, and again, I talked about how fun this is because it's a little unknown and you'd be silly if you thought you were certain you know how it's going to play out. The only thing I'll say with conviction is that, uh, again, barring health didn't ruin him, uh, when David Long Jr. comes back, he absolutely has to be one of your two starters because he, he has been your best linebacker this season, I think without a shadow of a doubt, and one of those spots has to go to David Long Jr. Friend of the podcast, David Long Jr. We agree with that. We'll Friend see if the, the Titans coaches do because it's it's always been a weird issue where it feels like they don't want to put Brown and Long on the field together. And let, I mean, Evans was out, so they did it for a little then bit. It, but then it's Brown that's got to sit. I mean, Brown agreed. hasn't played at the level of Long, not not even close, to be honest. And I think Evans season. had maybe one of his best games as a Titan outside of maybe like that New England playoff game or something. Um, 
he played a pretty good game a couple of weeks ago. I'm trying to remember. You know what it was? One of his I, last games before he got hurt. Yes. It might have been the Kansas City game then, actually. It was when, because I remember thinking about it, it was when they signed Avery Williamson. Oh, yeah. That first game after they signed Williamson, and Evans Williamson played a didn't really play, good football game. Didn't even play outside of, maybe he played like three no. special team snaps or something. Yeah. Um, it's like, it's like anyway. The 2021 version of Isaiah Wilson. Three special team snaps and you're out of here. <laughs> really? Um I, I want to say one thing about this linebacker situation, and that's that as a Titans fan, the addition of Zach Cunningham is, I think, huge. This is the kind of move that you see championship-level teams make late in the year, picking up pieces. Cunningham wasn't good in Houston this year, but Houston is a dumpster fire, trashville, piece of garbage organization with Easterby weirdo leading the way. And David Coley as like a bridge head coach situation. Deshaun Watson, like, yes, hired to be fired. Deshaun Watson, what's going on with him? He's still just like chilling inactive every week in Houston. And it's just like a whole weird thing. So I could totally see if you're an NFL player, it's like, and you're going to work every day for the Texans. Like that can't not be easy to go to work every day with and give it your your best. And maybe like, oh, don't you want to sign guys who are going to give it their best everywhere they go? Like, yeah, sure, whatever. But Mike Vrabel, Shane Bowen have a history with Cunningham. Every single time Vrabel has had a chance to talk about Cunningham to the media, he has just raved about how. I mean, it's clear to me that Vrabel loves. Cunningham, I think Vrabel was the reason Cunningham got the huge extension that he got, not because Vrabel was like, you have to pay this guy, but because Vrabel was the defensive coordinator when Cunningham kind of broke out. So all that to say, I do think Cunningham will get on the field sooner than later. I don't think he's just going to be like your fourth linebacker who only plays if someone gets hurt. They may have certain packages for him. I think he'll be familiar enough with Vrabel's defense to get on the field fairly quickly. And Bowen's defense, I mean, Bowen and Vrabel were together in Houston with Cunningham. It's like, they know each other well, so I think it'll be it'll be interesting to see how how he gets worked in here. Let's move on really quick, yeah. and I want to ask you about Jay Feely's comments. Apparently, the Jaguars, whoever they met with during their like pre-broadcast meeting Saturday night in the hotel or whatever, told Jay Feely that they were going to go after Christian Fulton. They thought Christian Fulton was the weakness in the Titans secondary. Uh, what? Why? What? Who? I'm embarrassed. I don't. I don't know this, but there's so many injuries. Who started at outside corner this week opposite Fulton? Was it Maben? I mean, I think it was Maben. I don't. I have to look up who led the team in snaps at corner outside of. Because I mean, it was like Maben or Screen. It was some like journeyman yeah, scrub. Right it was probably Screen. I would think because he's been playing out. Uh, he's been playing outside. It's like, right? hmm, I think should so. we target the second year, second round pick who's been playing out of his mind? Should we target? How about this? Like, how about yeah, this? I'm sorry, not to cut you off. Hit me. Buster Screen. We said who led who is second in snaps at corner? Don't tell me he led the room. It was Christian Fulton was second in snaps at corner because Fulton oh played 47 snaps, which accounted for 85%. Buster, uh, sorry, sorry, I'm backtracking. Christian Fulton was third in snaps at 47 snaps, which was 85%. Buster Screen played all 55 defensive snaps, 100 percent of snaps. And then Elijah Molden played 52, which was 95%. So obviously Molden's an inside guy. So Buster Screen, the 33-year-old Buster Screen, who arrived three weeks ago, was not the corner they identified on tape to target. Rather, it was Christian Fulton who was playing Nor out of the his rookie. mind. 
nor the rookie third rounder rookie who's third a little rounder. bit slow, maybe in some yeah. to some people. And it's got but it's arms, Christian right? Fulton's and, a guy yeah. who's going to be the yeah. That makes absolutely no sense. Does that mean the Titans were in nickel on like fifty two out of fifty five plays in this game? I mean, Molden played fifty two snaps, so. I mean, yeah, wow. I don't, Folden probably didn't play the last couple snaps, right? They threw in a bunch of backup defenders near the end, it looked like. So you kind of got to account for Maybe they threw Molden outside for the last three snaps and said, screw it, right? I mean, I don't, yeah. I'd have to go back and look at the tape. But, um, re- like, it just doesn't it kind of speak to the level of ineptness that because Jay Feely was getting shit for that. And I don't yeah. blame Jay Feely for coming on Twitter being like, yo, I'm not the idiot. Trevor Lawrence <laughs> said that's what they told me. Like, what am I supposed to say? Yeah, exactly. So, I, I it really is mind blowing, and he said Trevor. Yeah. Right? Like he said Trevor Lawrence said it. I think he might have said Trevor told him that. Yeah, yeah. And uh, Fulton did get beat on that one play. Marvin Jones got not behind him because it was another one of those awfully underthrown balls that resulted in a defensive pass interference against Christian Fulton. But Marvin Jones made a great adjustment on an underthrown ball, came back to catch it. Didn't count. Holding on Jacksonville, <laughs> offsetting penalties, that play. The one play Fulton got beat on didn't count. He had the interception that you mentioned. He also had a really nice play where he got his arm in and dug out the ball to break up a pass. So all around great game for Fulton. One last thing I want to ask you about before we move on and talk a little bit about the playoff picture. And then we'll I get want to, to talk our, about the offense. We didn't talk yes, about the offense enough. Exactly. Was it enough for you? So here's what I think about the offense. Overall, I mean, in the first half, they moved the ball. It felt like with ease the first half was a great half of offense they had a missed field goal and they had another drive that stalled out that ended up in a, kicking a field goal but overall i was fine with the way the offense moved could they have been a little better could they have executed a little better yeah but we know what they're dealing with weapon wise but the thing that's still concerning to me about the offense is the pass protection because in the second half especially it felt like it, I mean, Aaron Brewer had one play where he got run over, like put on his back, run over, filling in at left guard for Roger Saffold. It was a rough day. pounds or whatever he is. He's not big. Um, the one thing that Brewer is not good at is pass protection, especially against stout interior rushers. And Jacksonville has a pretty stout defensive line. Josh Allen's had a good year, and they have guys that make plays up front there. But the pass protection overall, I mean, Tannehill took four sacks. Trevor Lawrence only took three sacks in a day where it felt like he was under duress the whole day, throwing four, throwing four interceptions, and yet Got Tannehill one of the was, first plays, didn't he? The one they yeah, called him down. With I think it Austria? was the first play of the game. Autry oh. just wrapped him up, and he tried to throw it away. Um, yeah, so I I am still concerned when they play better teams that Titans can't throw the ball downfield because they can't protect. Long, like there was one play where Julio was wide open. It was a play that everyone was talking about where he was like hopping off the field and people were like, oh, Julio got hurt again. He said after the game that he was only hopping off because he was mad he didn't get the ball. And it's not like he's mad at Tannehill. It was just like mad that the play didn't work out because pass protection broke down and he can't hit the wide open deep shot. So against Jacksonville, whatever, it's fine. Against Pittsburgh with TJ Watt rushing the edge, if he's healthy for the whole game, that's a totally different story, and that's a huge concern to me, is how is this team going to pass protect against playoff caliber defenses like the TJ Watt Steelers, like the 49ers the following week, even the Dolphins, who are a fringe playoff team at the moment, fighting for a seven seed, but defensively have been playing pretty well, have a pretty good pass rush, and I'm a little worried about how it's going to be when you do get to the actual playoffs and you're actually playing these really good teams, so... Anyway, that's my concern. I think getting A.J. Brown back and Derrick Henry back 
only do so much to help that aspect. Like obviously the the threat of Henry on the field and AJ on the field, like everyone has to account for what they can take any ball that they, they can take a one yard play to the house on any given touch. Right. But how much do they really help the pass protection? It's not like you're getting a, an offensive lineman back. You know, you're getting a wide receiver and a running back back, hopefully, right. over these no, next few weeks. It's a fair point, right? I think the one thing you say about AJ is obviously you hit him on a lot of those short, you know, those quick hitters, right? Those slants and, and crossers and the things that he can do with the ball in his hands after the catch uh, helps you a little in terms of maybe still helping you to pick up explosive passing plays without it having to be a long developing play that where the ball has to travel 25, 30 yards, right? You can throw AJ uh, an eight yard slant and he takes it for 20 or, or sometimes 50, 60, 70, as we've seen him exactly. do. So that's one area where I think it helps you, but ultimately you're right. You're, you're not getting an offensive lineman back. That's going to improve the pass protection. And at this point, it probably is what it is, right? And it's not very good. Yeah, exactly. So, all right. Any other thoughts on this game? No, I'll just quickly say that I think the offense, again, it was, it was, it was okay. It's probably what it is, right? Without AJ Brown and Derrick Henry, right? I don't know that it's going to get a lot better than this uh, until those guys can come back and they're going to have to win games uh, by only, you know, scoring, uh, you know, 17 to 24 points, as opposed to the 30 plus that we know they're capable of putting up any given week when they're at full strength. So uh, this, this is what it is. This is where they're at with all their injuries. Right. No. Yep. And um, I think it's good enough to get what them through think week of 18. Not, mu- not much to say, I guess, right? It was interesting because it felt like he was just there. I mean, yeah. he made a couple. <laughs> his first catch was a really nice one, um, kind of deep downfield. Well, not little. It was like a contested-ish catch, and it was kind of a trust throw from Tannehill. But it's like, whatever. He didn't have a huge impact. But the offense didn't do a whole lot. I mean, this isn't an offense right now that that feeds – talented players they just like run their their bullshit their little scheme shit and they like let jeff swain be the leading receiver with 45 receiving yards because he's like (laughs) catching these little dump off bootleg nonsense plays that are working and if it's working then it works whatever they're i I really think they're just trying to like do it whatever they can to gain five yards on any given play until they get derrick henry back keep their head above water really yes well because of how bad it's been the pass protection issues are still there and because of how much they turn the ball over there this game i feel like was just like let's reset coming out of the bye let's not beat ourselves let's let's not beat ourselves exactly so with that said let's talk about who the titans might have to beat out for the one seed because the New England Patriots are on a tear. The, the Patriots, I mean, this it doesn't even make sense to me. They've won seven <laughs> games in a row. They destroyed the Bills in that snowstorm game. I mean, destroyed is probably they, they threw the Josh ball Allen three had, times. Josh Allen had a chance to like win the game on the final drive, but they but it felt like New England was just dominating because they physically dominated. They exactly they only threw the ball three times. They handed it off to the running backs, and the Bills uh, look like a mess right now yeah i know they came back against the bucks but same kind of issues that were showing themselves in that patriots game where you're like well it's a, it's a snow game it's a weather game this doesn't really mean anything and then they go out against the bucks and on in the first half give up a 60 yard rushing touchdown again that's one to leonard fournette after they gave up that damon harris 56 yarder last week so the bills have fallen pretty far out of the race they actually currently hold a seven seed if you can believe it and are but due the for Titans, a first-round matchup with the Titans. As yeah, of now. If, if the Deuce. playoffs started today, if the playoffs started today, Buffalo would be traveling to Nashville. I'm not scared of Buffalo at all, by the way. I'm not really scared of anybody. I think the Titans can beat every team in the league right now, if if healthy, full strength, which yeah. by 
week one or two of the playoffs. They should be, right? Full strength. So, but anyway, when it comes to the one seed, the Patriots won seven games in a row. They got Indy this week, and then they play Buffalo again. The Chiefs, nine and four, haven't lost since the Titans beat them for the second time in the last three years. The last time the Chiefs lost to the Titans in the regular season, they went on like a 15-game winning streak that extended all the way through the Super Bowl and into the next year. So the Titans, you said this before we started, the Titans got to stop beating the Chiefs in the regular season. It, it like makes them flip a switch. Wakes them up, yeah, apparently. Yeah, I don't know what it is, but hopefully the Titans don't repeat the 20, uh, what was it, 2019 season and lose the Chiefs in the AFC Championship as they go on to win another freaking Super Bowl. But anyway... The Chiefs have a couple division games coming up as well. So I definitely think they're in the mix. They got the chart. They're at the Chargers on Thursday night this week. And then they play the Titans opponent this week, the Steelers, uh, the day after Christmas. And they close the season at Bengals, at Broncos. So three of their last four on the road. I want to throw something to you because a few weeks ago, we were talking about playoff picture. This might have been three episodes ago, maybe four even. And I said... The Chiefs are are in the mix for this one seed. They may not feel like it now, but they've got things figured out. They stopped turning the ball over. Their defense looks really good. And I said, I wouldn't put it past the Chiefs to run the table and be in high contention for the one seed. And you were extremely skeptical. I'm not trying to, like, give you a freezing cold take or pull receipts on anything. I just want to get your updated opinion now that the Chiefs have been on this tear, and yeah. especially coming off a 48-9 to Thumping God, of the great division Vegas this year. I, I oh can't my. believe they beat Vegas by a hundred the first time. You really thought Vegas was going to come back and try to save face, and no. After they, they were like dancing, again. and they were dancing on the arrowhead before the game, oh. like so full of themselves, and then to Awful. get beat by almost fifty points after that is just is just wild. But so anyway, you want my updated take? I will say to you on the Chiefs? that yeah, I was definitely uh, wrong. I don't even remember saying it, but I'll take your word for it because they are absolutely in contention for the one seed. In fact. The one seed is going to either New England, Tennessee, or Kansas City. There is no other team in the AFC that will realistically compete. It's not going to be Baltimore. It's not going to be Buffalo. I feel good saying that. It's not going to be any of the other teams uh, in the mix of playoffs. I don't, I don't think. No, certainly not the Chargers. Uh, it's going to be either New England, Tennessee, or Kansas City. Tennessee have the tiebreaker over Kansas City. They obviously don't have it over New England. But I'm not going to lie, that doesn't make me feel that much better anymore because I think it's very possible that Kansas City can run this table and finish Boom. the year with more wins than the Titans. So the Titans got to win at least three of their last four. If they lose to the Niners, it's not the worst thing in the world. Although Mike Herndon, Mike Miracles, put out a tweet of how the Titans can clinch the one seed. Go follow him at Mike Miracles on Twitter if you want to see how that can happen. But um, I think that's it. We're good here on Playoff Talk. Root for Indy and Buffalo to beat New England over the next two weeks. That will help the Titans immensely. All right, let's get to our guests then. We're very happy to bring back to the podcast Alex Kazora. Writes for Steelers Depot, SteelersDepot.com. You can follow them on Twitter. You can follow Alex on Twitter at Alex underscore Kazora. Alex, thanks for joining us again. Nice to have you back on the podcast. And how are you doing? We're excited to talk about this game. Doing well. It's a big game for both sides. Probably a bit more for for Pittsburgh. But uh, yeah, it, it should be a good matchup. Yeah, it looks like Pittsburgh's playoff hopes are hanging somewhat in the balance. Not entirely on this game, but they've got to win probably two or three three of the last four to get in there. So uh, my first question here is just a very basic general one because we were talking before the show and 
having trouble figuring out what is this Pittsburgh Steelers team right now? Are the Steelers good, in your opinion? (laughs) (laughs) I've been asked that two straight weeks now before the Vikings game. My answer might be a little different after the fact. I mean, it's it's a really good question because it's such a hard answer to give. And the way I would define them is they're a competitive team. They're in a lot of games. Not every single one they've been blown out by Cincinnati this year, for example. Green Bay wasn't particularly competitive, but they're, they're usually keeping it close. And they're kind of in that, you know, they're in close games and they can't get over the hump kind of situation. The comeback against Minnesota last week, a great example of that. So, you know, before the season began, I pegged them as a nine and eight team, seven seed, one and done kind of club. So I guess it's relative. It, it, it's the Steelers are good if you're a Lions fan. The Steelers aren't good if you're like a Chiefs fan. You know, they're kind of in that weird in between. They've had a lot of injuries this year. So it's been certainly an up and down type season with a lot of highs, a lot of lows, and just really has been a roller coaster. So I would say they're competitive. If that counts as good, then then so be it. If not, then they're <laughs> kind of in that slightly above average category, I would, I would put them. Right. That, you know, that makes me think about something. I'm curious to get your take on it because – I always think when I hear that, I think a competitive team doesn't always necessarily mean that it's a good team. But what I do think it's usually more a reflection of is that they are a well-coached team. Yeah, yeah, that, that's, that's a fair way to put that. It's kind of like Minnesota. Minnesota's been a very competitive team this season. They're not always a good team. And, they, you know, they, they did well against uh, Pittsburgh on Thursday night. And so I think, yeah, obviously when you have Mike Tom, when you have the leadership, when you do have star players in place like Kim Hayward, like TJ Watt, like a Minka Fitzpatrick and a veteran guy like Ben, who has not been perfect this year, but I think it's been better than what the national media thinks. When you have those pieces in place, it's hard to be a five and now, I guess five and 12 kind of a team. You're always going to be at a baseline level kind of in the mix, but they've had so many injuries. There's been such an upheaval offensively. They're trying to find their identity offensively, trying to run the ball with mm. more success, which has been a very much a mixed bag this season. So they've not been able to take that next step because the other complementary pieces have not really kind of fit into place. And you factor in the injuries and losing close games and some bad starts have really hampered this team overall. So yeah, they're in that, they're in the mix, they're in the hunt, but um, even if they, do turn things around. This is not a team that's likely to go terribly far in the playoffs. I want you to expand on what you said there about Big Ben. It sounded like you think the national media is maybe being a little overly critical of him. And and, and let's be honest, uh, it's easy to poke fun of him, right? He's an easy target, especially on Twitter. (laughs) His age, uh, you know, I I may go as far as saying he's not in the greatest shape. He's not going to be on the cover of GQ magazine more than likely any <laughs> never would soon. never was though never, never was. was no of course I, I, I know never was my right. point is he's an easy target right mm-hmm. like so so but but I am curious to hear you expand on that on how you think he's played this year because all signs also point to uh, some reports a few weeks ago national reports claiming that this is his final year in Pittsburgh and that didn't necessarily mean he's going to retire right so that kind of leaves the door open for him to play elsewhere so what is your take on Big Ben this year? Yeah, I mean, obviously I'm a bit biased here, and by no means am I saying this is a top 10 quarterback anymore. He is far removed from the old backyard Ben that he once was, but he's not the you know completely washed up player. I think the Vikings' great game is a great example of that. I mean, he's leading this team that that comeback. The Chargers game didn't practice all week because of the uh, COVID list, and you know he led that team back and almost pulled out the victory in that one. Um, I think he's had to deal with so much new this year, a new offensive coordinator, new offensive line coach, a new assistant offensive line coach, new tight ends coach, uh, a brand new offensive line, basically top to bottom, a new running back, a new tight end, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Injuries, losing juju, things like that. And and so that's been a lot for any quarterback to handle, especially one who's kind of usually been in a pretty consistent 
stable situation of the same guys, the same OC, the same offensive line for a long time. Um, and this run game has really been frustrating this year. It has been, I think, overall better than last year, but it's been so hit and miss. And this team needs a run game to be successful. That was their whole offseason mantra and philosophy, and it really hasn't worked out quite the way the team hoped and envisioned. And so it's really put a lot on Ben Chola's third, a very heavy RPO kind of offense and things like that. So the, obviously the deep ball has not been very good. That's a receiver issue and a quarterback issue. But I think the velocity on Ben's throws actually is still there. That arm is pretty lively overall in some of the shorter to intermediate type of throws. And so overall, there's been a lot on Ben's plate this year, like last year. If I had to grade him, I would put him by a B, B minus. He certainly had his fair share of mistakes this season. And you're right. I mean, this is the least mobile quarterback in football. His knees are 85 years old, and that's why he's probably going to retire after this season. But um, I think he has been better than what the national media gives him credit for. So that answer you gave, Alex, uh, kind of created two questions in my mind. And it also feels like you're reading my questions list here because you kind of start bringing up these points uh, <laughs> that I want to touch on. You talked about dealing with a new offensive coordinator. Give me a little uh, about your first impression. I mean, first impression is worth 13, 14 games in here. Give me, but your impression of offensive coordinator Matt Canada, because uh, obviously you watch Steelers more than uh, Justin or I have. Uh, it seems like they're not always on the same page, Big Ben and, and, and Canada. Uh, I've seen Big Ben have a couple of quotes that didn't seem to be like a ringing endorsement of Canada's offense, number one. And secondly, correct me if I'm wrong, but it seems to be heavily focused on a lot of pre-snap motion. And, and sometimes it looks like um, they're window dressing something that uh, isn't really being executed at all that mm -hmm. high of a level. So it kind of begs the question, what's the point? Yeah, it's a really good question. I think with Canada overall, it's been a mixed bag, much like this offense, much like this team. I think in, this, in terms of the things he has done well, he's created better opening scripts. And I think some Steeler fans are still mad about some of the starts Pittsburgh has had, and some of that's justified. But from 2019 to 2020 combined, Pittsburgh had one opening drive touchdown, one in two seasons. This year, they have four. They have five scoring drives total. So it's an improvement. You know, there has been certainly some level of improvement there. Um, it, it was a bit of an awkward fit because Canada kind of comes from that college system, as you said, motion heavy, under center heavy, play action heavy, all things that Ben is not, and this offense has not been for so many seasons. And so there has been probably some growing pains in that. Also, some, just, just some basic things like Canada calls plays from the booth. And, and the last time that Ben had an OC who called from the booth was his first uh, OC, Ken Wisenut, in 04 and 05, I think it was. And so there's some newness there to adjust to. Um, just, overall, just to interrupt you, Alex, you're sure. actually not allowed to say the name Ken Wisenhunt on this oh, podcast. Oh, I forgot. It's Titans. actually, yeah. Yeah, it's illegal. And uh, we will find you. There is no mention of Ken Wisenhunt on any Titans. Really, that is a name that yeah. we do never want to hear again. Right. I'll, I'll get the, the 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 fine letter from Roger Goodell in a couple of weeks. I'm guessing. I'm appealing that, by the way. Um. So yeah, it, it's As been it's been a bit of an awkward fit. They tried to run more pistol lately, which I think is is the best middle ground between the shotgun stuff that Ben likes and the kind of under center downhill run action boot and play action game that Canada prefers. Hopefully we see more of that going forward. So it, it, it's been a mixed bag overall, like I said, and, and again, you throw in a brand new offensive line and injuries. They've had five left guards this year. Some of those things make the evaluation tougher. So um, has it been perfect? No, but I think you give both guys credit for handling this newness, I think better than where it could have been. I do want to talk about uh, the run game a little bit, and I've got a philosophical question for you that I'm sure you've pondered and, and all Steelers fan pondered. And I kind of saw it being asked the moment it happened uh, yeah. when they drafted Najee Harris, 
there seemed to be a lot of, uh, you know, discussion about the value of that pick based on Mm -hmm. the offensive line, not being very good. I think there is no question that Najee Harris is incredibly talented. I think we've seen that this year. I mean, he's, he's caught a ton of balls and, Mm -hmm. and he's made a lot of things happen both in the running game and passing game, but obviously 60 catches, 60 catches. I mean, he's been unbelievable in in the, as a receiver out of the backfield. Um, But that question still kind of does go begging, right? Because that offensive line is not very good. They're not opening up holes for him. So where are you at now with that pick, so to speak, knowing that the, uh, this offensive line is not ready really to help an op, uh, to help a running back operate at the level that he's capable of operating at? Yeah, it's a fair question. It's that idea of the old school, new school mentality. And you're right with Harris. Uh, he's he's needs three more receptions to break the Steelers rookie record for most receptions by a player. Uh, Chase Claypool said it last year was 62. Harris sits at 60, as Justin, you mentioned a moment ago. ago. So I think... You have to look at Harris as the whole product. Uh, he's a he's a runner. He's a receiver. He's a blocker. And Mike Tomlin has always wanted that workhorse back. It's what he had in Le'Veon Bell. It's what he hoped to have in James Conner. Health did not really allow that to happen. And that's why they drafted Harris. So Pittsburgh definitely is that old school mentality. I mean, Tomlin's been here since 07. Colbert's been with the team since 2000. And they are pretty anti-analytics like if you bring an excel spreadsheet into that office they kick you out like they'll call the cops like they are very old school they are very like from the gut type of people and that's what cobra has been his entire life and tomlin just the same so understand the point on, on the lack of value for running back and i don't think anybody can dispute that but i would say a was there really an offensive lineman to take at 24 the next offensive lineman who went after uh christian darisaw 23 was landon dickerson in the 30s in the second round to the Eagles and Dickerson had a litany of medical concerns, which may have had him off the Steelers board entirely. Um, and then B, I think you have to focus on, you want to just get good players and talent. It's so easy to miss in the first round. So what does it matter if you take the top edge rusher and he busts out or the top cornerback or whatever, you just want to get guys who are going to help your team win. It's 50, 50 in the NFL. So if you just get good guys who help you and help you now, I don't think you want to lose sight of that either. So I get the point. This offensive line has not been good. The guys they drafted have certainly had their predictable rookie struggles. Um, but I don't get too mad at the pick of Harris because, A, he's a really good player. He was a good fit, and hopefully you can add to this offensive line, say, this offseason. Before right. I turn things over here to Graver, I do want to just say that I, I actually agree with you. I, I didn't pose the question because uh, that's kind of where I land. Mm-hmm. I ultimately land on he's a really good freaking player, and they're never going to regret that pick, right? Sure. Now you go ahead and, you know, yeah, it sucks to kind of have this year. I don't want to say wasted, but, you know, so to speak, where you're, you're kind of limiting the upside because you don't have the O-line in place. But at the end of the day, they'll probably get that right at some point, and they're going to be really happy that they have Najee Harris on their football team. Yeah, you can attack it next year, but you're right, Justin. I mean, he's going to get 400 touches this year and probably like a 7-9-1 season. So it hurts you a little bit whenever you give this guy so much work and he can't make the playoffs. So it's just like you had to do it because he's your guy and he was going to try to take you there, but it, it does kind of suck in, in retrospect. Yeah, we were just talking the other day about not interior O line, but tackles that were drafted in like the second round. And it's like, are is any are any of them good? Like Spencer Brown is okay, but he's also had his plenty of struggles. Like Titans second round tackle Dylan Radens hasn't even played like at all. They've they started, started a lot, right? They've started like six offensive tackles before him. Wow, he, and he, I, he wish I was in- kidding. He had his problems in camp whenever he really had struggles, I think, this summer, and that's kind of what got him shuffled aside, I believe, right? They flipped him to the right side, and he was a left tackle in college, and he, I don't know, he was struggling out of his pass sets on the right side, and then he started playing guard, and like maybe he's just a guard now. Who knows? And Roger Saffold was a tackle in college, tried to play tackle in the NFL, and a couple seasons later, he was a 
a great guard. So. I don't want to start this conversation now because we've beat this drum to death. <laughs> I'm sure I, but I, will, I do want to say that I think Alex, in case you, it sounds like you're curious, I don't think they see him as a guard ultimately. Like, but what I do think they saw, and I, I disagree with their decision-making. I think they saw a guy that wasn't ready to start at right tackle. So you know how, coaches are in the NFL where they're like, Oh, well, if you want to be active on game days, you got to be able to play multiple mm-hmm. positions. So if you want, especially as a backup O lineman, right. Oh, you got to be able to swing around a couple positions. So I think that was the thinking behind having him play a little guard. Like, Oh, you know what? If he's going to be active, he's got to be able to back up tackle and guard. But right. I, if I, I hate it either way, because number one, he's a tackle and number two, even if he's not ready to start, you should just focus on getting him ready to play tackle. Cause that's where you yeah. get him to play. All <laughs> you're doing is taking away time from him playing tackle. Right. Mm-hmm. So uh, it's, but, but yeah, like he, he, like they've started Taylor Lewan, obviously, and David Kissenberry are their starting tackles. Mm-hmm. Uh, Tyson Brelo has started games at left tackle who retired now, by the way, he's re- he retired. Oh, retired after like five yeah. weeks. I'll get out. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Kendall Hart. Lamb has started at left tackle. So we're already at four. Bobby and, Hart. They signed off the street and, and said, and you started him immediately. Will- Learn the offense and play better than the guy we drafted in yeah. April. You know what's bad when Bobby Hart's playing over you? Because Hart's one of the worst tackles I've ever, I've ever seen. He was horrible. Oh God, TJ so Watt bad. owned that guy in, in Cincinnati. So, yeah, that, yeah that's a bad he was sign. a Cincinnati guy for a while. Yeah, um, he started, did he start two games, Graver? Or yeah, like, he started the Rams, Rams game. one, which they won by a lot. I don't know. And he was I mean, bad. they won that game as a defense. But I think <laughs> yeah. he started or, or played in like two or three. He was horrible. Well, let's transition back to what we're talking about here. Steelers, Titans. You mentioned TJ Watt there dominating um, a little bit of Bobby Hart, but I want to ask about TJ Watt and the Steelers defense in general here. My limited observation of the Steelers has been that when TJ Watt is on the field, the Steelers defense is ferocious. And when TJ Watt is not on the field, the entire defense seems like it just collapses without him. He's been dealing with some injury stuff. Tomlin said he expects him to get back and play this weekend. But he played last weekend and then, or last Thursday, and then had to leave the game after after not too long. So I'm curious, a, what you expect from Watt this weekend if he can get out there, if he's going to be maybe on a pitch count to try and keep him healthy for the mm-hmm. whole game, and b, can this defense be effective without T.J. Watt on the field? Yeah, to the first question, I think Watt's going to play. We'll get a practice report on on Wednesday and get our first kind of real inclination of that. He's played through a lot of injuries this year, so if, if he does play, then he probably won't be on a pitch count. This guy, you know, missed an entire week because of COVID and, and was not on a pitch count. He missed all the training camp this summer, was not on a pitch count week one against Buffalo. So he should be good to go, and he's been excellent. You know, obviously, to me, a front runner for defensive player of the season, um, affecting yeah. the run game, the pass game, um, and just demanding so much attention uh, this year. So... Um, you know, he's been dominant as ever, but it, it, this team has really relied on its stars to be its stars and they've lacked kind of the complementary pieces around him. So Watt's been great. Hayward's been great. Minka has been really good overall, but they've had just such a, 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 a battering of injuries up front, losing Stefan to it, losing Tyson, Alu, Alu, Alu. they played so many rotational guys up front defensively. They've not done a good job. The inside linebackers have not gotten off blocks, have not made enough plays in the run game. So it's really been, you know, run defense is more than one or two guys. It's an 11 man job. And, and this defense for Pittsburgh has, is historically bad right now, allowing basically five yards of carry. So even if Watt plays, this defense has lots of props, you know, before Watt got hurt against the Vikings, they were still getting their butt kicked by Dalvin cook. There was still, you know, semi-truck size lanes for Cook to run through. So um, yeah. Watt uh, cannot do it all on his own. So everyone around him will have to play better. Interesting. Yeah. I do think Watt is a front runner for defensive player of the year. I had 20 bucks on Watt to win it last year 
to win like 280 or something. And I was like, he deserves it. And he didn't win last year. I think they're going to give it to him this year. Almost as like, uh, we should have given it to you. To yeah. you it's tough competition though with Garrett and Parsons and Diggs. I mean, I don't want to Donald having Donald. Donald yeah. had three sacks last night, so now he's back in the conversation. <laughs> yeah, no doubt about it. Well, Alex, we really appreciated your time tonight. We're gonna wrap it up here with one last question, as we always close out with our guests, getting an idea of what you expect, how you think this game will unfold. If you have a score prediction that you want to give, we will take it. We're not gonna force you, but how do you think this game plays out on Sunday? It's a good question. I haven't given it a ton of thought yet because uh, I get to my Titans film study starting tomorrow. And the Titans have been with all the injuries, A.J. Brown, Julio Jones, Derrick Henry, of course. They've been a kind of a tough team to read. Tannehill not playing uh, quite as well as last year because of some of the injuries with Pittsburgh. They've just, they've just been such a, a frustrating team. And I know the Titans have still been committed to the run game, even without Derrick Henry. And so can this team stop the run? Um, probably determines if Pittsburgh wins this game. When Pittsburgh plays to run well, as they did against the Ravens and Browns, they've won those games when they've struggled against the run. They've lost uh, basically every single game this season. So the battle of the trenches probably is how this game gets determined. I'm not 100% sure what direction to go. Uh, but I will say for Pittsburgh... I guess you can't call it must win, but uh, they got to go three and one at least the rest of the way to have a chance. And uh, beating the Titans would be a great first step. Absolutely. Well, I agree. Battle of the trenches. I think this is going to be an interesting matchup. I do think the Titans match up well with the Steelers because they stop the run pretty well and they stay committed to the run even when it's not working. So I think those those two points kind of fall in the Titans' favor. Justin, anything you want to add before we get out? Let Alex go. No, I think I'm, I'll just say it's, I think it's going to be a really close game. I know it's probably not a bold prediction, but, you know, it kind of goes back to what we talked about with Alex in the beginning where the Steelers have been a competitive team and they've played in a lot of close games. I could see this one trending that way as well. Yeah. Yeah. I Pittsburgh, agree. the definition of competitive and competitive has not been always good enough this year, but it, and it comes down to those fourth quarter plays. Who makes the last play? Who, who creates a turnover? Who gets the third down stop? The red zone conversion, et cetera, et cetera. So those games are impossible to predict when they're within, you know, a touchdown and there's, you know, five minutes left. Yeah, absolutely. It's, and I think this one, I would take the under and, you know, expect a close game here. So thanks, Alex, for your time. We really appreciate it. Again, everyone out there, you can follow Alex on Twitter at Alex underscore Kozora. That's K-O-Z-O-R-A. Check out SteelersDepot.com. Alex, thanks for your time. Hope you have a thanks, great weekend. Guys. Appreciate it. You too. All right. Thank you so much again to Alex for joining us, giving us his insights. That will do it on this show. Before we go, I'll just say, I think the Titans win 17-13. What do you got? I got Titans 24-17. Well, there you go. We both got a one-score Titans win. All right. That will do it. Like I said, we will be back next week to preview Thursday night football, Titans Niners on Thursday night. And we'll recap this Steelers game. Until then, you guys stay safe out there and tighten up. A Broadway Sports Media Production.